This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown on this Monday, February 27th, 2023 edition of the show. Coming up in the second hour, columnist Shelley Petit will discuss issues of accessibility at public events in New Brunswick. And Samsung has introduced new features to its voice assistant, Bixby. Mark Flalo of Double Tap will give you the lowdown. Brock Richardson is standing by for a sports chat, but before we get to that, here is the regional news update. Beginning in BC, this news is a little bit old, but it's worth sharing with you anyway, because it happened late on Friday. BC is rolling out a 10-year, $440 million plan to expand cancer care and research in the province. Premier David Eby reflected on the current condition of cancer care in BC. The challenge is that this increased demand has led to a situation where our cancer care system is stretched. In some cases, it's at capacity. EB says things have to change in the province. It is uh, unacceptable to be in a situation in our province where someone is waiting for a screening or waiting for treatment to the point that it's compromising their cancer care. Some areas of priority include hiring more specialists and improving access in rural communities. Over to the prairies, bit of a feel-good story for you. Saskatchewan residents have donated over $5.5 million to the Telemiracle fundraiser. The annual Telemiracle, easy for me to say, funds the work of the Kinsman Foundation, which supports local charities. Telemiracle 47 Chair Scott Lamb says this year's turnout for volunteers was one of the highest in recent memory. So good on the people of Saskatchewan for raising over $5 million for local charities over the weekend. Over to Ontario, less of a good news story. Peel Regional Police have charged a second suspect in an airline ticket scam allegedly operating across the GTA. Emily Javesky explains. Police allege the two suspects gained access to a secure online booking portal for a major European airline in 2021 and fraudulently issued hundreds of valid flight tickets, which were sold to unsuspecting customers for more than $500,000. Investigators say the majority of the customers who purchased the tickets were from the Calgary area and the flights were primarily to Africa. A 32-year-old from Vaughan, Ontario was arrested and charged in January and police say a 44-year-old woman from Brampton now also faces charges. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press, Toronto. And finally, in the Atlantic region, Prince Edward Island's Net Zero Advisory Committee has begun its work advising the provincial government on climate change matters. The 10-member committee spoke about the local impacts of climate change in its first meeting. Environment and Climate Action Minister Stephen Myers says the the province's net zero goals require transformational change to the daily lives of islanders and industries. He says some of the themes of the inaugural meeting include how Hurricane Fiona has accelerated the urgency to mitigate and adapt to climate change. That's your look at the regional news. Brock Richardson is here with a sports chat.
Hoo boy, Brock. I was gone for a week and I took in plenty of sports on my days off. But Brock, you know what really jumped out at me this weekend was the start of Major League Baseball's spring training games and the implementation of the pitch clock. Every pitch needing to be fired off within 15 seconds. Batters needing to be in the box and ready to swing with seven seconds and uh, 20 seconds if runners are on base, by the way. A little bit of a little bit of a granular detail on the rule. But Brock, I got to say, man, I'm liking it. It's making the game so frantic. You don't realize how fast 15 seconds goes and the pace of play. You can really feel it. How have you noticed the impact of MLB's pitch clock over the weekend? I... I absolutely love it. Uh, I think it's good. I think it, it does exactly what the MLB was hoping for, speeding up the game. You no longer have 8 million throws over to first base. You have to pitch the ball as quick as you can. I think this speeds up the game, and I think it does draw in a little bit of the people that say, oh, the game's slow, and you know, let's pick it up a little bit. Hopefully, we see a little bit more of this translate, but yeah, I'm with you. I absolutely Love it. I know some hardcore baseball fans are finding it a little bit too frantic, that, that it seems a little too urgent in the moment. There probably is going to be a, a, a tiny bit of tweaking here. You saw uh, Manny Machado being hit with the first ever automatic strike for not quite being ready with seven seconds left on the clock. We also saw a game decided with an automatic strikeout when a pitcher was, when, when a hitter wasn't ready. So, you're starting to see some of this stuff, Brock, where that, that makes it maybe a little uncomfortable or a little bit strange. I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of a tweaking here, but as of now, it seems like it's an area of priority for the umpires to really drill this down during spring training. It, it might feel a little bit more weird in a big moment in a playoff game, but as of right now, I, I'm on board. But I do understand where maybe some baseball traditionalists are like, this is annoying. Yeah, I think, though, to, to, to your point, and I have no facts to base this but it's just my opinion in that i think in a playoff game in a game seven you may see a little bit of lenience as for the seven seconds on the clock because you're not going to want a game decided in that fashion yeah i could be totally wrong but that's just my vibe is that listen this is the time we're going to to try to flesh out the rules spring training there are too many games of spring training to begin with so <laughs> why not why not try to uh use them for for a good purpose and instead of making me you know claw my eyes out and just want the season to begin because it takes so long but i digress yeah. i like the pitch clock i'm i'm ready man spring training snuck up on me a little bit i am delighted that the games are underway and even if there are a few too many during cactus league and grapefruit league i'm still very very excited brock the whole time i was on vacation Every time I got a push notification from TSN about the Scotty's Tournament of Hearts, I thought of you. And that tournament came to an end last night. Brock, we're talking about a curling dynasty at this point. Yes, we are. Kerry uh, uh, Anderson wins uh, her fourth straight uh, championship as Team Canada. I do I do just want to give you a little bit of the brief storylines. Uh, that was one that obviously over overrided and won, but... Team Canada, as I mentioned, had the opportunity to win their fourth straight, which they did, and tie the great Colleen Jones. Uh, this is the second straight final where Carrie Anderson was able to um, come through the back door. She did not get a direct uh, bye to the final because she lost uh, one of the seeding games, which meant that she had to go through the back door. Shannon Burchard, what can you say? Uh, she has done five finals and five victories. Wow. She played with Manitoba before. It was uh, it, it was Kiri Anderson, and 
and uh, she played with Team Canada with Chelsea Carey. So she does nothing but win uh, when she plays at the Scotties. And and Carey said last night at the end of the game, she said, "Man, I'm glad she's on my team, and and I'm glad we're playing together." So that's not exactly where the storylines ended, though. Before the game, Jennifer Jones had an opportunity to win her seventh uh, Scotties, which would have been a record. She was unable to do that, but she took a really young team and did really good things. So all in all, a really good Scotties. The final score was uh, uh, 10-4 for Team Canada, and they'll be representing Canada in about a uh, two weeks' time, roughly, at the World Championships in Sweden. So nice. all good. So what, now you take a breath for a few days and the briar kicks off? Yes, and I want to talk about, as we get closer to the briar later this week, I want to talk about some of the differences I see uh, between the men's and women's game as we get closer to the briar. We'll have that conversation nice. later in the week. But nice. yeah. One of the other stories emerging as the week moves on, Brock, is the NHL trade deadline. And there may be no trades at the deadline because they've all been going on over the weekend in the last couple of weeks. Let's start with the big one. The San Jose Sharks have traded Timo Meyer to the New Jersey Devils in a 13-piece trade. Brock, we are not going to go over all 13 <laughs> pieces in this trade. We'll be here all day. But your reaction to the star winger landing with the New Jersey Devils? I love it. I yeah, think me too. Is good, this is a good fit for New Jersey. I I think uh, Timo Meyer is a real dynamic player. Uh, just He's going to add so much on that wing uh, for for the Devils, and I think this is a really good trade. I love it. Yeah, I'm a big fan as well. San Jose, the, the, the return was a little overwhelming. They chose sort of more quantitative pieces rather than qualitative pieces, but they still got a nice little return there, but this is going to be a big move for the Devils as teams in the East just keep loading up. Timo Meyer, uh, top five in the league in shot attempts, top four in the league on shots on goal, has uh, 31 goals already this year. He's going to look real nice in a New Jersey Devils uniform. Great move by the Devils. He TSN could barely fit uh, the the trade into one post. Okay, that's how <laughs> how many pieces went through with the picture they give with the nice Trade Center logo. Like there was so many pieces to this that TSN had trouble squeezing it all together. So. Yeah. Brock, let's let's turn to Canada. The Winnipeg Jets, a team you and I have been talking about uh, a couple times here over the last few months as a sneaky dark horse contender. They also acquired a power forward, a winger, Nino Niederreiter. From the Nashville Predators, maybe not having the best statistical season, but this is a nice addition to the Jets, at least in my opinion. It is. And listen, if you are not on board with the Jets, if you're listening to us in, in Winnipeg at the moment and you're not on board with the Jets and you just don't think it's going to be there, uh, it's time you smell the roses in, in, in Winnipeg because... They are coming, and they are coming at you very sneakily. They're adding these pieces. They believe in their team. I, I honestly believe Winnipeg is going to make a run and contend for the, the best team in Canada when the playoffs are all said and done. I just I love what they're doing, and they're adding these sneaky little pieces, as you mentioned, like Nito Niederreiter, and just saying, listen, we'll add a piece over here, and we'll sprinkle over there, and yeah. you know, we have goaltending, we have forwards, we uh, they they really have it all, and it's just a matter of, can you put it together when it matters? And I think they're absolutely headed in the right direction. Yeah, so the Jets ship off a draft pick for Niederreiter, and then the Nashville Predators, who got that pick, also traded Tanner Janot yesterday to the Tampa Bay Lightning for a whole mess of pieces. Again, don't want to get into the whole thing, but Nashville putting themselves in a nice position with, with a lot of draft capital. 
Brock, another team that continues their teardown is the St. Louis Blues, moving Ivan Barbashev to the Vegas Golden Knights. Brock, I know we could, in theory, spend a lot of time talking about the Vegas side of this, but I don't think Barbashev really moves the needle for them. But St. Louis now has moved Vladimir Tarasenko, Ryan O'Reilly, and Ivan Barbashev, and they've put themselves a very full cupboard going into this offseason. Yeah, I think there's, there's, you know, a fine line of a team really making a decision and deciding what they're going to do. And and obviously the St. Louis Blues have decided we're going to load up on, on draft picks and we're going to rebuild this thing. You you often see teams, you know, linger in the middle ground where it's like, well, we'll kind of we'll kind of do a rebuild, but kind of not. To me, there's no such thing as a kind of a rebuild. It's either you're in or you're not. And, and the St. Louis Blues here have said, no, no, we're in a rebuild, and we're going to be honest about it with the deals we're making. And and as you point out, their cupboards are full, and they will be very happy at the draft this year when they can just keep pulling out those draft picks uh, at, the, at the draft and in the summer and just moving things around and doing all kinds. So good rebuild time yeah. in St. Louis. Brock, there were a lot of trades over the weekend. Just one more to discuss right now as we head towards the NHL trade deadline. But uh, my Montreal Canadiens traded away forward Evgeny Dadanoff to the Dallas Stars, bringing back his fellow countryman, Denis Gurianov in return. Brock, I got to confess to you as a Montreal Canadiens fan, I love this trade. Gurionov, admittedly, maybe has reached his ceiling as a prospect. He's 25 years old. He's never necessarily put up the numbers that people thought he would. But as a raw talent player to insert into Montreal's lineup, I think this is an awesome move for what was an expiring contract in Evgeny Dadanov. So I love this move. What do you think of it? Yeah, and again, this is another uh, team that's really building around their pieces uh, with uh, Cole Caulfield and and company and Slavkovsky. And again, this is another one of those moves. Montreal's not hiding what they are this year. They're 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 okay with that. They're okay beating the Leafs as many times as possible, <laughs> and that's fine with Montreal fans. Um, but again, I love what they're doing. Again, they're building around their pieces, and I think this is another move to signify that they're building around their pieces, and they're going to build up and be really good in a year, two, three years' yeah. time if they can put this all together. I, I don't know if this makes Dallas better, but I think this is the kind of move that Montreal makes that's, uh, that's, that's sort of a... Um, a low-risk, high-reward kind of trade where if Gurionov even comes close to reaching his potential, which is a 20-goal scorer, then they just got a six-foot-four, 220-pound goal scorer uh, for an expiring contract, which is which is wonderful in my mind. And I'm still not quite sure what Dallas was thinking going into this deal. Uh, Brock, we got to get out of here. We've already run over time. Surprise, surprise. Have yourself a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. I know you've got a Connor McDavid stat for me, so hold that till tomorrow. I will indeed. That is Brock Richardson at the AMI Sports Desk. Alex Smythe is at the AMI Weather Desk. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, there's snow with up to 2 centimeters falling today. The high is minus 10, feeling like minus 23. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's mainly sunny, but also feeling cold as well. The high is minus 9, but with that wind chill, it makes it feel like minus 28. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's a mix of sun and clouds, and the high is minus 6. No wind chill today for St. John, New Brunswick. In Quebec City, Quebec, it is a mix of sun and clouds today, and the high is 5 degrees with a wind chill of minus 24. In Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy with snow beginning late this afternoon. Wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. The high is minus 1, but feeling like minus 12 with that wind chill.
In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's cloudy with more uh, clouds rolling in this morning. There's also wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus four. It's going to be feeling more like minus 23. In Brandon, Manitoba, it's a mix of sun and clouds and this morning, and then it's going to be clearing up in the afternoon. There's also wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. The high is zero, but feeling like minus 20. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's a mix of sun and clouds with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour as well. The high is minus 9, feeling like minus 19. As we head over to Lethbridge, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds today. Wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour as well. The high is 2 degrees, but it's feeling like minus 18 with that wind chill. In Red Deer, Alberta today, it is a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of snow this morning. The high is minus 7, feeling like minus 21. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, it is a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of snow. The high is minus 15, feeling like minus 36 with that wind chill. To Kelowna, BC, where it is mainly cloudy today, the high is plus 3, but it has a slight wind chill at minus 4. And finally, in Vancouver, BC, we are expecting it to be cloudy with some snow or rain starting in the afternoon. There's expected to be up to two centimeters of snow, and the high is three degrees today. And that's our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Samsung has introduced new features to the Vix Bixby Voice Assistant. Mark Flalo of Double Tap will give you the lowdown. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Samsung has announced some upgrades to its voice assistant, Bixby. Let's check in with Mark Aflalo in Montreal of Double Tap to find out the details. And of course, you can find Double Tap TV on AMI-tv Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Hey, good morning, Mark. Morning, Dave. How are you? I'm well. So, Mark, they've announced these updates to Bixby. So what are some of the things they're putting on offer to uh, maybe make Bixby a little bit more competitive in the marketplace? Well, to give you some context first and tell you what it didn't have before. <laughs> uh, for example, it didn't have the ability to understand context, and then no pun intended here. Um, it, it even wasn't able to really communicate or do anything when it was offline. You needed an internet connection. So those are the two biggest changes coming to Bixby on the software side, is that it doesn't need an internet connection to actually be used. It can actually perform functions on the device itself, which is pretty cool. And of course, do searches online when it is back online. But it's adding more context, so it's going to be able to remember what you've asked it previously mm. so that when you say things like, oh, and turn that light on, it knows what light you're referring to, which is pretty cool. Um, so, I mean, those are the biggest changes across the board that are coming to Bixby. Obviously, context is important. Also, the ability to do more on the device, being able to do things like take a selfie and take pictures and actually initiate commands that control the smartphone or the tablet itself. So, Mark, it sounds to me like these are some pretty basic upgrades that people already aren't particularly interested in Bixby. Do you think this may get a few more people to press the button on the side of their phone? 
I, I think if you've never used any other virtual assistant, then sure, you might want to give it a try and see what it can do. But I think for the most part, this ship has sailed. People who wanted this kind of functionality have downloaded the, you know, the Amazon app or the ALEXA app, or yeah. they've downloaded the Google app and they're mm -hmm. using that. I mean, don't forget, you know, Google at the end of the day or Android was always Google and Samsung trying to push this now. I mean, it, it's a difficult task for them to try and enter at this stage in the game. I remember when I got a company phone that was a Samsung Galaxy S9. At that point, they actually had a Bixby button on there. You would press that button and it would automatically launch Bixby, except it never, ever, ever actually worked. Uh, when I think about my current Samsung <laughs> phone, my, my personal phone, it's really easy to open the Google Assistant. It's really difficult to access Bixby. So Mark, to me, again, I, I, know, I know it sounds like I'm being negative here. I'm being overly critical, but it really feels like maybe Samsung Samsung is wasting their time on this resource when all their phones already have a built-in Google Assistant that people probably access much easier. It does seem like a little bit, a little bit too, uh, too little, too late in this game when it comes to using that. I mean, even that Bixby button you talked about on the S9, you weren't able able to customize that button, so it was just a waste of space. <laughs> yeah. Now another one of the updates they're throwing out is that you can customize the wake word. Yay! Um, but at the end of the day, I think that you're you're dead on with that assessment, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I'm trying not to be negative about it, but at some point, why don't you just throw the towel and then cave to the competition? Yeah, absolutely. And again, when we're talking about this, I don't want people to think, oh, Dave is against voice assistant technologies. I like these technologies. <laughs> There's a lot of people in the community who really enjoy them. But you can't be so far behind the eight ball that you're not even playing pool or playing billiards or playing snooker. You know, you're playing like rollerball. You know, you're, 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 like, you're playing ping pong. You're not even playing the same sport at this time. So, yeah, it feels like a little late to the game. But, hey, you know, Samsung uh, is not in the business of losing money. So uh, I'm sure they have a plan. I'm sure they have a plan. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there's people there somewhere that are getting paid uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let, let, let's go to a different uh, tech giant YouTube has announced yeah. a feature that is allowing creators to add voice tracks to new and existing content so Mark I need you to unpack that for me a little sure. bit like what are we talking about in terms of what that's going to add to the user experience it's a kind of play on audio description. You know, audio description, you could turn on a, you know, a track in a language of your choosing and hear it go along to the actual track of the movie. So if you want to listen to it with audio description or listen to it dubbed into a different language, you can do that. Basically, there's two sides of the coin here. There's the side of the coin where creators, lots of big creators out there have been focusing on translating their content so it's more accessible to the world. If you look at Mr. Beast, for example, he's been doing this for many, many years, translating his content into to 11 different languages mm. but the way he's done it is yeah he's had separate channels for each language so you'd have mr beast on espanol miss mr beast on in german etc etc so you'd have to go to a whole separate channel to uh, consume that content which is fine it's a great workaround and you know he has a great following on those channels as well this new feature allows you to just upload a separate audio track so when you upload a video to youtube you can say okay i've got another audio track here you choose the language out of the 40 that are available currently on YouTube to select from and you upload a separate audio track and if someone goes you know on the consumer side of things they go to a video just like any other video they hit the settings cog on the video itself they can choose the audio language and it'll actually switch to that language so it's a way to help uh, you know creators have alternate versions of their content in the same video. So they're not worrying about having to have, you know, 11 channels to maintain. They really only have the one. And on the consumer side, it's an easy way to, for you to find that in your native language or the language you want to yeah. listen to it.
Yeah, I can see where this becomes a really good idea that perhaps a creator doesn't want to be managing 11 different channels and uploading 11 different videos. But I also imagine, now, now maybe this is a stretch mark and you can tell me if it is, it's okay, I, I can take the criticism. I wonder how much this has to do with maybe taking a little bit of a load off the servers as well. That we know that storage for companies like Google and YouTube are, are massive, right? The amount of money that you spend yeah. to store on these servers is wild. So if you take... 11 videos and get them down to one. I know that as an individualized case, that doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're talking about millions of videos uploaded a day, that could that could impact the, the amount of money that they're having to spend on storage. Yeah, I mean, that's a great argument. I can't deny that that probably is a great reason for them to maybe save some coin at the end of the day. But from what I understand and from everything that I've seen and read about this one in particular, it was in direct response to user feedback. Mm -hmm. People saying, I want to watch Mr. Beast, but I have to go to this other channel and find it a little bit arduous for me to have yeah. to do that. Cumbersome. So I think that this might be an instance of consumers winning this battle or YouTube listening to the consumers because that's something they've been really shifting their focus on for the past couple of years is listening to not only the consumers that are consuming the content but also the creators to the point that they've you know instilled in and stated some creator liaisons yeah. and various levels of oversight to help that community it, it actually is quite interesting to see the relationship that youtube has built with their creators it really feels like I don't know, to, to say that it's it's like purely uh, a completely friendly one would maybe be a little bit too much of a stretch, but it seems like YouTube really does understand what their business model is. We are a user-generated money machine, so make those users happy. Yeah, I mean, you can't argue logic, right, at the, at the end of the day. I think there's some companies that can learn a lesson from the way they're doing it and listening to not only the consumer feedback, but listen, they are an entire platform that without the people creating content wouldn't exist. So uh, unless they want to do it all by themselves, which uh, they are way past that point, I think, at this point, <laughs> yeah. um, it's definitely something that they have to pay attention to. And the other thing is, you know, the creators out there who have leverage, the ones who have the tens of millions of subscribers, are pretty vocal about it. They're yes. pretty vocal about their, their gripes and they are not scared to be vocal because they know they have leverage. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, uh, one last question here. What's coming up on Double Tap tomorrow night? This is a cool one. We're going to be introducing you, if you don't know her already, to Becky Czar, who co-hosted our uh, town halls this mm -hmm. past summer or last summer. Uh, and we're going to be talking about her journey uh, into low vision. Becky Czar, podcaster, host the contributor on Double Tap TV, collaborator. Look at Becky. The wings are always growing. Mark, have a great day. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, Dave. That is Mark Aflalo, one of the co-hosts of Double Tap TV. You can find Double Tap on Twitter at Double Tap on Air at Double Tap on Air. Coming up after the break, Alex Smythe has some questions about public events. Are you uh, getting out there and getting active and joining the people? hanging out amongst the unwashed masses or are you laying low alex has some questions for myself ramya and nazarene this is now with dave brown on ami tv Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Ramya Amuthan and Zreen Abdel-Majid are standing by. Alex Smythe is going to set up his roundtable question of the day. 
Yeah, so Dave, this weekend there were a number of events going on in and around Toronto, including the International Auto Show, which is always uh, very popular every year, and then also the Outdoor Adventure Show. I was actually considering going to one, if not both of them, this weekend, but, you know, I, I later thought against it after I was thinking about it uh, more. Like, in part, you know, it was some of it was what was being showcased, who who were going to be there, who weren't going to be there. And then the other part, it was still a bit of my hesitation around being in big crowds as a bit of a holdover from COVID. So I, I wanted to open it up to the panel and, and kind of find out, like, how do you guys feel about going into big events in and around the city? So, uh, Nisreen, let's start with you. I think what scares me is the space and the location. So if uh, the space fits 200 people and you know 200 people are going to be there, that's where it gets, that's where I get hesitant about going because it, it's just the right amount. It's it's going to be tight. You know it's going to be tight. Uh, the number of attendees doesn't scare me. I think it just depends on um, the location. If it's, you know, j the shape of the space as well. I mean, if it's a big hall, that's where, okay, people can roam around. That's fine. It's not going to be, if there's poles in the middle of nowhere, if there's going to be hallways, that um, that's where I'm like, eh, it's not the place to be in. But yeah. My, uh, my social anxiety is always running through the roof whenever I'm going to a large event. It really has nothing to do with COVID and everything to do with my own uh, internal demons that roll through me. So I just I just drink to resolve my social anxiety. That's how I roll. <laughs> Obviously, I have no fear of big events as someone who just went to a 15,000-person event at the Bell Centre in Montreal who's going to a Blink-182 concert uh, at, at, the, uh, at the Toronto Arena in May as someone who's going to get on an airplane and fly to Calgary to host an AMI event and then go to a St. Patrick's Day party on March the 17th. I'm clearly uh, not the right person to ask here, Alex, because I have no fear of going to these large-scale events, and I'm really delighted to be doing so. Uh, COVID was really hard on me. I, I like going to places and being amongst the people. Uh, now, I do have my anxieties, like Nazarene pointed out, where sometimes if the space is poorly designed or it's too crowded, as a overweight person, I sometimes find it a little bit difficult to navigate those spaces. But I, uh, I'm someone who is actually quite eager to be getting back out and engaging in culture and food and restaurants and sports, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Ramya, what about you? Um, my anxieties or like post-COVID feelings don't really have specifically do, to do with the crowds and how big they are and uh, how much I can handle the people. But I think it's more about the overstimulation. I'm finding that COVID... Um, maintained a much quieter lifestyle for me for so long that now when I get out on the streets or even on public transportation or when I just hear like so many things going on like you mentioned festivals right festivals are a big thing that I don't think I can handle the way that I used to I can probably go in and enjoy myself for a bit but I would feel exhausted um it, within maybe a couple hours, maybe even less than that, compared to what it used to be. So I remember going to the CNE post-COVID and thinking, my goodness, how did I used to do this? Because it was just like overwhelming with the amount of noise level and people and um, having to you know stop or slow down or be uh, shoulder to shoulder with others. It, it's not even how big the place is, because I'm finding the same kind of exertion uh, mental exertion 
on public transit, for example. Yeah, I I will say that uh, there, the world does seem louder. I don't know why the world seems yeah. louder, but you're right, yeah. Ramya. It feels like everywhere I walk into, the music is a little bit louder. People are talking a little bit louder. There's something about it. Now, that could just mean that I need to get the wax flushed out of my ears. Like, that's also a possibility. I'm way overdue for uh, for doing that as someone who wears headphones every day. But yet, yeah, I'm finding the world is quite loud. Alex, you asked the question, but how do you uh, find yourself attending events? Are you attending more or less similar? Well, I, I would say I'm I'm attending less. And, and you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily like, oh, it's like, it's just because, oh, if you're being around people in COVID, it's, I always start to think back, okay, well, how crowded are these events? Like, I used to do Fan Expo every single year, and I loved it because it's all, like, it's a hub of everything I, I can geek out about. But I then also flash back to think, oh, yeah, you're literally shuffling side by side, step by step with thousands of other people squeezing through all these tight spaces where there's just no personal space and it's more just feeling like that claustrophobia and that that mental uh drain as as ramia was mentioning i think that's really kind of kept up and it's like do i really want to do that is that really all that enjoyable anymore now there's certain events obviously like it's sporting events or or if there's a concert that's coming like yeah i'm i'm more than happy to jump over uh and, and do that but i think it's like I'm really going to prioritize, okay, well, how good of an event is it going to be? Because, you know, like the auto show, for instance, I used to go every year, but we, this year, because of some part of the, the issues with COVID, I mean, there was a number of manufacturers who weren't even going to be in attendance, like big ones like Ford, Kia, uh, uh, Mercedes, like those are some big uh, names that aren't even going to be at the event. So it's like, you know, the events don't seem like they're as good as they used to be. And, and, you know, because it's more, uh, it hasn't been on in person for a couple of years, there's going to be more people there. There's going to be more frantic. And it's like, eh, I'm not ready for that yet. Yeah, people making up for lost time is something yeah. that you notice when you go to these events. But I would say they're they're capturing the pre-COVID fun, maybe even excelling in the pre-COVID fun because you missed these things because you didn't get to do them for years and years and perhaps you cherish them a little bit more i know when i was at that wrestling event at the bell center a couple weeks ago i was just captivated by the lights and the music and the singing along and chanting with the crowd and feeling like i was experiencing something again that i was feeling a collective experience with my fellow human and normally the great unwashed or the plebeians are not my people but i was really really enjoying myself nazreen when you've gone out and you've reattacked the world and gone to an event are you feeling like it's capturing some of the pre-covid enthusiasm is it more enthusiastic post-covid what do you think not as enthusiastic as it used to be, I have to say. I've been to so many big, big events. I mean, I've been to an event that had more than 10,000 people. And obviously, before COVID, I did have anxiety attacks, but I feel like after post-COVID, it got worse and worse and worse. And I remember, I mean, there was nobody around me. I was in a, it was just in a corner. I was taking a deep breath, and the anxiety attack hit me. And I'm like, wait. Did it get worse after COVID? Is yeah. it is yeah. that you, you feel that? Oh yeah. And I'm like I, my my social anxiety has never been higher. 
Yeah, I, I think I'm, and and sometimes I feel so awkward talking to people, and I'm like, you know what? I can't wait to see these people it, before I I see them and talk to them. I'm like, can't wait. It's been so long. And then when I finally face them, I'm like, so how was how was COVID times? You yeah, know, like, yeah. Although, although, know, uh, although, although I think, Nizreen, I do think we're starting to get away from that a little bit, right? Like now as things yeah, yeah, have normalized sure. a, little, a little bit, especially the last six to eight months, I feel like there's been a real normalization, like a real rebalancing of that where maybe COVID's yeah. like less of the point of conversation. But I will say that my social anxiety is much higher yes. than it used to be. But I don't think that's a COVID thing. I think that's a Dave thing. I think that's just like Dave's become a stranger and stranger bird as things have gone, as, as time has gone by. And therefore, I'm just more socially anxious. Uh, but a couple Heinekens uh, tends to solve that problem for me. So, uh, you know, not, not that I would ever yeah. uh, advise that kind of self-medication for anybody. Uh, Ramya, as you join into the real world a little bit more here, going to some events, how are you measuring the enthusiasm level? Is it capturing the, the pre-COVID energy? Is it different? How would you evaluate it? Yeah, it's great. Obviously, just like around this table, people come in with uh, different feelings, different experiences, different levels of readiness into like concerts or I don't know, for me, but everything that I end up at is mostly musical, right? Or yeah. sitting around a you know restaurant, maybe, but mostly musical. Like yesterday, I was at a brewery in Toronto and they were doing a shanty sing-along, right? And the spirit was so there. So I think like we've all kind of pointed out, uh, even if you are kind of nervous or anxious going into it, once you get in and once you got that music flowing in you, maybe a couple of drinks and you're you're just jiving with the people next to you, it does go away. It melts yeah. and uh, you leave feeling so much more energized than you came in. Uh, got to be quick on this thought, guys, but I wonder how much of that may actually be a bit of orientation and mobility that perhaps we're just not oriented to a lot of places or became unfamiliar with what used to be familiar places. So maybe that's where a little bit of the social anxiety is coming from. Like, oh gosh, where is the bathroom in this place? Where is the entrance? Is there a maitre d'? Where's the table? Where do I sit? Where are my people? I, I wonder, Alex, how much of this may actually fall into a bit of an orientation and mobility question. Yeah, that's always going to be a factor. I, I think for me, the big thing is it's my tolerance level for dealing with it. Because uh, uh, mobility and orientation always was an issue, but you, I was willing to put up with a lot. I think now I'm just willing to put up with less of it or, or less willing to put myself in stressful situations like mm. that. Uh, Nazreen, the thought on orientation and mobility. I think before I wasn't so scared about, you know, trying to find the washroom, but I'm so glad you brought this up because I feel like I'm so shy and I feel embarrassed these days to even go to going to a restaurant and I go to one corner and I'm like, no, this is not a restroom. And I make sure that if it's like the women's or men's, because I did make that mistake a bunch of times. So I feel like I'm more scared than before. Much lower stakes for the woman to walk into the men's washroom and the man to walk into the woman's washroom. I'll say <laughs> yep. that right yep. now. That's you know that's, that's a privilege that you have, uh, Ramya. Quick thought on orientation and mobility, and then we and then we got to wrap this thing up. Outdoor spaces don't scare me as much, but finding help indoor spaces is something that I'm uh, kind of struggling with, just not knowing if people are there or not. And this is because during COVID, everyone was gone, right? You were yeah. dealing with nobody yeah. most of the time. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Alex, Nizreen, thank you for this. Appreciate it. Ramya, you don't get to go away just yet because you get to tell me what's coming up on Kelly and Ramya at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. 
Sure, we're talking sports with Brock Richardson, and he's uh, highlighting the Scotties Tournament of Hearts, which <laughs> <He> concluded <sure is. laughs> this weekend uh, in Wisjaw, Saskatchewan. Also, we're talking to Greg David about some of these new and returning TV shows to AMI-TV. We have some trailers for you, and there's lots there. On Know Your Rights, we're checking in with Brintha Krishna. She's the law student extraordinaire, according to Danielle McLaughlin, uh, who's been helping out <laughs> behind the scenes for the past several months. So we're really looking forward to her joining us on the show. Right on. Ramya, thank you for this. Have a great show. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Talk later. That's Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Ramya, which comes your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv and AMI-audio and, of course, the mighty AMI-audio podcast network on demand. Coming up after the break, the conversation around major public events continues. Calm Shelley Petit will discuss issues of accessibility at public events in New Brunswick. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. back it's now with dave brown on ami tv let's continue the conversation about large public events from the last segment so oftentimes an event will label itself as family friendly or pet friendly or inclusive and every now and then they'll also claim they're accessible with um let's call it mixed results here to offer a bit more insight is shelly petit shelly is the chair of the new brunswick coalition of persons with disabilities hey shelly great to talk to you once again Hi, Dave. Same. So, Shelly, always love coming. Oh, yeah. We're, we're so happy to have you on here and talking about a relevant topic like this. So many times you hear that advertising, right? We're a family-friendly event. We're inclusive. And then you get there, and it ends up being a total disaster. So what are some yeah. of the common issues when it comes to accessibility barriers at public events? Um, in New Brunswick, it's right from the get-go. You arrive, the parking lots are not cleared of enough snow that if you're in a wheelchair or walker, or cane that you can get to the event safely. Uh, there's no large print signage for people of low vision. If the event is uh, got a lot of communication at it, there is no ASL provided. Uh, it's just it's a complete lack of understanding of what accessibility is. Even uh, for Family Day, one of the cities, one of the three main cities, had a poster up about Family Day is inclusive. It had not one person with a disability on the poster, not one senior. Now, it took a little bit of complaining, and they did change the poster, but why should we still have to say something in this day and age? Why isn't it just inclusive from the get-go? Yeah. I, Shelly, I like that you mentioned the signage side of it, because as someone myself yeah. who's legally blind but can still operate with good signage, I right. find that stuff so useful and it makes me absolutely bonkers when I'm just trying to get into a place and there's no right. there's no acknowledging of here's where the door is. And, and large print signage is good for 95% of the population, right? It's one of those barriers. Oh, my cat's going to try to get in the screen here. It's one of those barriers that um, <laughs> that is good for everyone, right? Um, as we uh, get a little bit older, our, our glasses don't always keep up. So large print signage would help me see where I'm going as well. Um, it, you know, a lot of seniors would benefit from it. So let's just go to a UDL format and have large print signage everywhere. It's good for everyone. 
Shelly, by the way, if your cat does jump on screen, that's fine. We're a pet-friendly okay. show over here. So if, if your cat wants to be a national celebrity, that's absolutely fine yeah. and dandy. Yeah, Shelly, yeah, right. it's, it's, even, it's even things like you mentioned on the communication side, right? It's not just about yeah. ASL interpreters or alternative formats available in the moment. It's also little things in terms of your online presentation before you show up. Yeah. For me, I find like I, I, there's so many times when I wish there was just clear orientation maps that I could find on a website with clear descriptions of where things might be, where I want to go. Maybe even if there's multiple gates, what gate they suggest you go to for maybe more of the uh, the chill experience, uh, so to speak. Right. Like, like there's, there's all these like little things that people can do that maybe aren't strictly accessibility, but they're very much inclusive and they, got, they offer people a lot of comfort. Exactly. And I mean, even when you go back to signage beforehand, let's make our signs in our ads on social media, very clear. Is this event wheelchair friendly? Is this event, does it have a hearing loop? Is there going to be um, a sensory tent there for people that need mm. the stimulation, right? If Fredericton Pride can do it with their full week event, all cities in this province can do it for their winter carnival events and not one did. Yeah, it, it, it's it's strange, right? Because you'd think that it would be fairly not. I, I never like the word easy, but it would be fairly straightforward to communicate exactly what you're putting on offer. Right. And and certainly as advocates for people with disabilities, we want everything on offer. We want all the universal universal design right. on offer. But but in the short term, I would still just accept some honesty. Hey, we've got this, or we don't have that. Got that. Can you imagine arriving to a place that's 30, 40 minutes away to do an activity and maybe you have a wheelchair and then to find out that it's accessible, but there's no wheelchair washroom? <laughs> Good luck, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the, these are little things that they need to to work with our communities beforehand and say, okay, what is there a way we can make this event more accessible? What do we need to advertise to make sure that people know what's available, not available beforehand? Right? Like we have quite a few in the city of Fairton, some indoor events. The ones at the Beaver Book Gallery, well, I can go and go out from the event, go look at the Beaver Book Gallery site, say, okay, well, that's accessible for most people. But if you're doing an outdoor event or an event like they're doing some pottery stuff, tell me on the poster what is accessible, what is not. Can I get in? They're doing some uh, share and rent equipment. Well, why isn't, why haven't Parasports been brought in for share of equipment? Let's try some sledge hockey. Let's try this. Let's try that. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of fun, and it keeps us included. We're 26% of the population in New Brunswick. It's our tax money as well. We deserve to be able to go to some of these events. Ah, you see, the, that's that's the real the real crook of this, right, Shelley? That we're talking about yep. events that are receiving public money, but that are not accessible mm -hmm. to all members of the public. Like, like that's one of the things that I think is almost understated in this conversation. Absolutely. It's very maddening. Like, you know, it's it's hard enough that we can't get accessible transportation to half the events. Then we get there, there's no accessible washroom, or there's no large signage, or there's not there's no um, sensory event. And and none of it was advertised beforehand, but yet I'm paying taxes into this event just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's to me, this is human rights. This is just human rights. I have the same right to be there as everyone else. Why is this not being done? And it's it's an awareness issue. Yes. Um, so we're fighting this. We're going to push and push and push. I pushed back to a couple of municipalities already. And I said, next year we want better signage that at least you've got to make the effort to put a couple of events accessible. And on the signs, let's have 
a uniform scale that represents, you know, this is wheelchair accessible, this is this accessible, and make sure that it's as accessible to as many lenses as possible because too often they look at wheelchair accessibility and that's about it. Yeah. And <laughs> there are a lot of there are a lot of other disabilities out there. I'm I, not I'm not saying that wheelchair accessibility is not important at all. But there are other disabilities as well, and we deserve to go as well. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to laugh there, but how often do you no. hear so that, that, that somebody says, "Oh, we're it's an accessible event. We have a ramp. We have one ramp. We're accessible." We yeah, congratulations. And we have some wheelchair parking. You're all set. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, Shelley, let, let's end this on a positive note. We've only got about thirty yep. seconds here, but but I think you did it a couple times. Shout out a couple of people that are doing this right. Um, I must say, I was really pleased uh, up north in um, the Acadian Peninsula. They had a few activities that were very accessible, and that was awesome to see. The city of Riverview had a couple. Um, they were more do-at-home, like snow sculpturing and that, but it's still, that's a little more accessible. Um, and a couple of the municipalities, as we've approached them, said, oh, yeah, you're right. And it was too late to really change for this year, but next year they're going to work on it. There you go. So that's all we can ask for, right? Let's let's make sure that they're aware and start to push forward for change. Yeah, progress isn't always as linear or as fast as we want, but progress is still progress. Shelly, we got to get out of here, but thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. That's, Bye. That's Shelly Petit, chair of the New Brunswick Coalition of Persons with Disabilities. That's all the time we have on the show today. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.